and, and putting it out there so other guys will buy it. And I mean, it's like selling oatmeal, man. It's like, no, that is a deal. Uh, like, cook your own stuff, brother. Now, I, I listen, listen, I listen to, I listen to a lot of different preachers and I am constantly reading books. And I am constantly re- reading my Bible. I don't say that to be puffed up. I'm just letting you guys know this. And there's about four or five guys, pastors, national level pastors, that I listen to every week. I mean, I listen to their sermons every week. And I read a lot of their books. And they, they instruct me. They mentor me from afar. They, they pour into my life. But I'm not just dishing up what they've done. I mean, it, it influences me and, you, you know... If you were to listen to them too, you will see tidbits of what they do. In, but it's not. I mean, you, you got to be a Bible guy. If you got to know your word, all right. That's that's that's. So, I and mean, I'm sorry. I'm, be, I'm I'm more preaching to people that are you know will do what I do than I mean. You're like, okay, Brad, we got it. I mean, easy, easy, easy. All right. So, what are the qualifications of an elder? That's that's it, man. He he's and we could summarize it. With, with, with really three things, because here, here's the deal, is those things that um, we talked about there in, in those lists, really those are things that we kind of want to see every Christian, every man. I mean, don't we want all guys to kind of be going towards above reproach? One, I mean, it's not like, oh, whew, I'm not an elder, <laughs> and I get to do my thing now. No, I mean, didn't that list sort of sound... Very much like we sort of what we want every, not just men, but every Christian everywhere to sort of be aspiring to. Yes, of course. So, so there's a couple, there's a really important point here. These, these guys are not like, they're not some elite airborne ranger, SEAL trained Delta Force guy that sort of parachutes in. He's like super Christian. You know, he pulls open the, the shirt with the big, you know, SP super pat. I mean, he's just a regular guy. But, but there's a couple really important things. First of all, he's, he aspires. He's got this call of God on his life, right? Secondly, is he, he, he's able to teach. He's really able to break it down and shuck it down from the Word of God so that the people might learn. And that's not necessarily every man. And there could be a man who, who meets all of these qualifications, who is able to teach, but he's just not... Not necessarily called of God. He doesn't aspire to do it, and that's fine. We need a thousand men like that to serve the church and 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 lay down their lives for the sake of the gospel. But that that it's just a, a very ordinary, regular guy who has these characteristics. So that's what are the qualifications of an elder, pastor, overseer, bishop, men who lead the church. Now the question is, what do they do? This is really really important. Go to First Timothy chapter five. First, I'm sorry, First Peter chapter five. First Peter. Chapter 5. First thing we wanted to answer was what are the qualifications of an elder? The second thing is what does an elder do? And I think this verse really spells it out very well for us. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 5. It's a couple books to the, to the right towards the end of the Bible. You don't have it. We got it up on the screen here. 1 Peter 5. This is Peter writing now and he says, So I exhort... The elders among you, again, plural, not singular, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Verse 2, this is important. Shepherd the whole flock of God that is among you. So these elders 
aside from just meeting these qualifications that we read about in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, are shepherds. They care for the church. The analogy is, is of a shepherd with his sheep in a field. So this group of men, they care for. And if you just think about all the things that might happen during the day when sheep are in the pastures, you know, one sheep might be biting one of the other sheep and the elder needs to come over there and kind of, you know, offer leadership and discipline there. One sheep may be hurt. He needs to protect and help mend that sheep. One sheep may be wandering off. He needs to go and bring correction and rescue to that sheep. And he, he needs to protect. He needs to build a fence, so to speak, around those sheep so that those sheep are protected from wolves. And there are wolves out there. Acts chapter 20 Take some time to read it where Paul is leaving Ephesus and he's speaking to the Ephesus elders and he's saying, I'm going to leave and after I leave, wolves are going to come in and they're going to try and tear this group of sheep apart. In fact, there might even be wolves amongst us right now that will rise up and try and shred us to pieces. There, there are wolves of of lost doctrine. There are wolves of sinful culture that want to destroy us. I mean, if you think that we're just good Americans that are kind of cruising along on the path of life, oh my gosh, there's a little financial trouble, but basically everything's fine. If you think that we don't live in a climate of intense spiritual warfare where men, there is an enemy called the devil who wants to destroy you and is strategically aimed at your heart to rip your heart into shreds and break up marriages and make kids into rebellious little punks. If you think that that's not going out there, you, you are not engaged to reality. It is out there. And so part of the pastor, elder, overseer, bishop's job is to protect the flock from wolves. He's a shepherd. He's a shepherd. So he cares for them. He lays down his life. He's not the guy who lords his authority over. He's not the egotistical guy who, who kind of by his demeanor communicates, I should be served and honored. He is the one who is up late at night protecting the sheep. Now contrast that with kind of this, this character we have of the pastor who sort of walks around like he is the guy that everybody should bow down to. It's actually the opposite. He's the one who's laying down his life for the sheep. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Okay, let's stop there. He is, in addition to the shepherd... Pastor, preacher, teacher, caregiver, this group of men that are giving shepherding care, they also have this responsibility to give oversight, to give management, to give governance to the church. And remember we read just briefly in 1 Timothy 5 verse 17, it said that the elders that rule well among you. So Peter describes these two primary functions of a elder. He is one that shepherds, he teaches, he protects, and he also gives oversight. Now let's stop here. Because this is critically important. Because many of us grew up in a church structure where there was this thing called the church board. Or maybe sometimes if you're Baptist, they called it a deacon board. But which was, I don't have time to unpack the kind of how that's messed up. Because really, the deacons in that situation are really elders. But anyway, I don't, don't get me started. We'll, 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 that'll take me an hour to unwind that pretzel. But the point is, is that you've got this leadership board in a church. And they're called the board. And they're like the stuffy dudes who don't want teenagers to wear hats. And then they go occasionally and meet once a month. And all they do is give oversight. Like, they're the one that issues the edict from the boardroom, but they've got no shepherd in them. 
You see what I'm saying? You see, how, you see they, they can't be the governing dude, but not also be the pastor guy. They can't be the, 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 the stoics in the room who also don't get their, their, their hands dirty with caring for the people. And so it's not just some governing board that decides this is what we're going to do. It is a group of men who together lead the people, lay down their lives for the people, and in a humble, nail-pierced, broken, self-crucified sort of way, give, give humble, heart-pouring oversight to this group of people who desperately need to be taught and to be fed and to be protected. Where most of us have been banged up in church circles is we've had maybe been under a group of men who loved the governance and they weren't shepherds. And it needs to be both. The pastors, elders need to be shepherds and um, they need to give oversight to the church. So um, what are the qualifications of an elder? We read in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. What do elders do? They shepherd and they give oversight and the third question that we want to answer is what does it look like for us now here's where it gets a little murky okay because there's no i can take you to the scriptures about what are the qualifications of an elder i can read right out of there first timothy 3 and titus chapter 1 and then we can go to first peter 5 and say well this is what elders do and then we say okay well now how should that work itself out in our modern day context and this is where the bible kind of goes kind of goes silent because, you know, there's a many different ways that you can do this. Let me just kind of roll out a couple models. Some, some um, churches have a, a situation where um, there's sort of like, and this is probably what most of us have grown up in, where there is like this pyramid structure where there's this senior pastor, which, by the way, that phrase does not exist here at Crosspoint. Well, Jesus is the senior pastor of the church. He is, as First Peter says, the chief shepherd and overseer of our souls. Please do not call me senior pastor. Like, if you're right next to me, say, this is our senior pastor. I'm like, what? I don't, what, what? I mean, yeah, I'm not going to respond to that because I think it is an unhelpful phrase because it kind of creates this hierarchy where there is one guy that sort of sits on top of the pyramid. When every instance in the New Testament where it talks about eldership, it talks about it in a plurality of elders where there is a group of men who share, who share responsibility and authority, not just one. But many of us kind of grew up in a situation where it's hierarchical, where there's one man who sort of sits on top of a staff, and then there's a group of lay people who are maybe elders, or maybe sometimes they'll call them deacons, and they will kind of give like, uh, you know, kind of this, this balance of power, so to speak, to the employed vocational pastor. Now, that may work in some situations. In fact, in some situations it works very, very well, but I don't think it's particularly biblical. And so I think what we're moving towards here at Crosspoint is a mixture of men who are employed by the church, who are full-time pastors like myself, who are elders, and then also a group of men who are just part of the congregation. They're not vocationally employed, but they, for certain terms or for a one-year period or two-year periods, rotate on this elder council. So there is a mixture of men who are permanent, vocational, employed pastors, and then there is also this group of men from the congregation who meet these qualifications, who serve terms and rotate. So you have this mixture. So it's not kind of because many of us have grown up in this context in American church where it's like the professional dudes 
sort of do everything, and they're the ones that lead the way, and we're the ones that come, and we come to the grocery store and get our bread, and we leave, and we come. And, I mean, it's just like what I was talking about last week. I think it helps to create an atmosphere of consumerism, kind of like, here's my quarter. Dance, monkey, dance. And, and so I think that elders are not necessarily professional pastors, but some of them are. There's this mixture of men who are employed by the church that are continual elders like myself and men who are not necessarily employed in vocational ministry, but they rotate on and off. So you have this mixture. Currently, we have two elders at Crosspoint, myself and Reynolds. You know, Reynolds is not employed by the church. He spends a lot of time laboring for the church, really, really personifying for us these qualifications that we read and serving the church and shepherding and oversight. But we need to grow. We need more elders. But here's, here's the difficulty. And I'm g- gathering a group of men to help, help me think through these issues. And these men are not necessarily men that are going to be elders, but they're a group of men that are going to help us think through these issues about how do we actually, how do we populate this group of men that are called our elder council beyond just me and Reynolds? How, how then, if they're not full-time employees of the church and they're men that are just serving as elders, how long do they serve? How are they chosen? How do we, how do we evaluate them? And we're going to work through those issues. So you'll be hearing a lot about this in the coming weeks and months because this is absolutely critical. If we continue to go without really thinking along these lines, what will happen is we'll just continue to create kind of one or two guys do the deal and the rest of us receive. One or two guys do the deal, the rest of it, it's not good for us long term. And so we're building very slowly an eldership. But here's the other point of it. And I want you to know, I emphasize that word slowly because it can be catastrophically dangerous to a church to rush people into becoming an elder before either they are ready or just because you need them. It is better to only have two or three elders and have a thousand people than to have a thousand people and ten elders and seven of them don't really meet the qualifications or they're not ready yet. That is dangerous for a church. And so it's better to move slowly in this than to have to reel stuff in because of mistakes. And so let me bring it to a close with this. Some of you are like, this broccoli really did taste kind of bad. Gosh, I'm glad this is over. Conclusion, you perk back up. Yeah, okay, good, 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 good. Here's the deal. Why, why is this, why does this matter? Like, Brad, can't you just keep, can't, I mean, I'll bring a quarter every Sunday. Come on, dance, man, dance. Why, why is this so important? What's on the line? A couple things are on the line. Our health as a church. We are a church plant, a new church plant. We began four years ago. In a couple weeks, we'll celebrate our fourth anniversary. Over 75% of young churches that start out like we did fail within their first 10 years. They tank. And part of it is because they have not structured and organized themselves well. So one of the things that's on the line is, is, is just our existence as a church. And I think we're off to a great start. I mean, it's not like, you know, are we about to tank? No, we're not about to tank at all. I'm saying that building a healthy governance structure is absolutely critical. That's on the line. You know what else is on the line? Quite frankly, and I say this a little selfishly, is me. It's me. And my health and my healthy heart. Honestly, I don't know how guys do it like these guys that are kind of like the leader 
and they grow these huge ministries. There, there's people that are far more talented than I am that can do that. But honestly, I think I would blow up. You know, I know why pastors freak out when they're 10 or 12 years into it and they've got, you know, large congregations and because they haven't built in where they share power and they share accountability and they share responsibility. What happens is, is 15 years into it, they realize, who am I? And they blow up and that's when they run off with the, you know, the cute gal in the congregation or they embezzle money or they just, they just blow up. And I'm not anywhere close to that. You're like, oh my gosh. No, I'm nowhere close to that. But what I'm saying is I can see how people blow up. And to protect authority and power and governance and responsibility must be shared. We have to build a structure that protects you from one personality, me, and protects one personality, me, from you. And so we grow healthily so that my heart is not just jacked up like a pretzel in 10 years and my kids are, you know, wearing black, hanging out in the mall with their pants around their knees. I mean, come on. I don't want that to happen. I want to grow healthy. And if it means that we grow slower, but we grow deeper and we grow healthier, rather than just being the newest fad, then, then to God be the glory. So what's on the line is our health as a church, my health as a person and as a pastor, and the ability for us to be biblical. And here's what else is on the line is it's just the name and the fame of Christ. Look, here's the deal when you start to read the scriptures, like it it will pull certain men, and it should pull all of us, but it will pull, pull certain men to then be able to put their life on the line for the sake of the gospel. And they may be, they may be a school teacher or a sales rep or a banker or, or a, a small businessman, but, but the, the, they begin to be in an environment where it's not just a one-man show or a couple people who are off in the corner who show up on Sundays who do it. And God begins to grab their soul and He begins to speak into them and they begin to get this call and they realize that they are necessary for the kingdom and for the name and the fame of the gospel and Jesus, and they're called out of consumerism into shepherding and being a man who leads the church, and you multiply this, and then the church begins to to surge because you have a multiplicity of men who are leading, who are not domineering, who are not egotistical maniacs, but they are laying down their life, and the women are exalted, and the children grow up safe and protected, and the word of God is preached, and responsibility is shared, and more sheep are cared for, because it's not just one man and the gospel and the kingdom grows that's what's on the line so there are men in this room right now who as you begin your life in this church and you read the word and you preach this concept of eldership the word will grab you and it will move you from consumerism and you will begin to see that you may be a man that God is calling to help lead the church or you may not be but you may be a man who realizes I'm in an environment where men lay down their life their hands are pierced their sides are slashed open and their heart is laid bare for something bigger than golf and fishing and football and stuff that is what is at stake that is what is at stake we've got to be a place that grows in this this I dare say is maybe more important than anything we've talked to save the gospel than anything we've talked to up to this point at Crosspoint. Men, 
who lay down their lives for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the women, for the sake of the children, for the sake of other men, so that the gospel and the church would grow healthy. Let's bow our heads. God, God, I know that this is particularly important to me because this is what my life is. And I know how much I love the church and how much I want to do this well. God, I want to reach, i got about 40 more years. And I want to get to the end of that road and I want to run it well. I want to remain faithful to my wife. I, I don't want to treat people poorly. I don't want to get greedy or egotistical or insecure or narrow-minded. I want to be scandal-free. I want to live a life above reproach. <clears throat> and I want to preach the gospel well and clearly. God, I confess that there's this tug in me to be cute and relevant and cutting edge and popular. And I confess that and I pray that you'd burn that up in me. And God, I I pray that you'd help us as a congregation realize the absolute importance of healthy leadership structure. Got to pray that whether we're a man in this room who might someday be called into serving as an elder or whether we are men who might serve in other capacities or whether we are women or children, I pray that we would realize that what is at stake here is the healthy growth of this beautiful thing called the church. It's a beautiful mess. And it needs people who will roll up their sleeves and say, this is my deal, this is what I do, that I love and serve and guard and protect and pour out my life for the church. Not so that we can be the people that, you know, pass out silly little bumper stickers or arrogantly look down the end of our nose at other Christians who go to churches that don't do it like we do, but so that we can just be, we can be servants because this world is broken. We live in a city that is so religious, but it is so lost. And what's at stake is the gospel and the kingdom and, and our, our decisions to be a healthy church that is structured biblically is, is vastly important in our ability to preach the gospel well for a long time in this place until you come. So I pray, God, that this would seize, it would take hold for some of us that were kind of checked out. I pray, God, that maybe we'd go back over this message later and just read over these scriptures and say, God, um, help me understand and receive this better. And, and God, finally, I pray for wisdom for me and Reynolds and some men that are coming around us to help us determine these best ways to take this biblical concept and to work it into the fabric of our church. God, help us do that well. 
And then finally, God, I pray, as Jesus modeled for his disciples, that you would help myself and any man that ever leads in any capacity in this church, that we would be, we would be servants that wash people's feet, that we would have basins of water and towels over our shoulders and that we would have nails in our hands and we'd have we'd have crosses on our backs because we were laying down our life to be feet washers for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom God I pray that that would be the culture the leadership culture at cross point and Lord I pray just specifically for maybe a lady in here who's saying you know you've talked about men all day what about women that I pray that they would realize that the best place for womanhood and femininity to flower and blossom and be revered and exalted and receive its due honor is a place where men lead but where they lead humbly and self-sacrificially. That should be so in the home, and it should be so in the church. And God, for that young lady or maybe that wife that's in here that has grown up in a culture that screams the opposite to her, it screams, get what you can. Help her realize that in her context as a woman, that's not the path to biblical wholeness. And admittedly, many women in our culture have been sinned against by egotistical, sinful, greedy men. God, would you do a work by your Holy Spirit like only you can? And would you help us realize that as a culture, as families, and as a culture, as a church, that our best way is Christ-like, humble, nail-pierced, cross-carrying men who lay down their life for their wives and for their children and for the gospel and for the church and for the name and the fame of Jesus. So God, help us. Help us along that path. It's not an easy one. Give us courage. Give me courage as we walk this biblical way towards healthy structure. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Well, let's do this. Let's take, um, you know, there are some, some services that may be more personal and it's kind of hitting you and you may need prayer. I think this has been more kind of of a teaching time. Um, but I also don't want to exclude the opportunity that God may just have something that you need to pray about, that you need some shepherding and care. And so I certainly want to open up that possibility. So we're going to sing a song or two. If you're a Christian and you need to receive communion today, you just need to do that. You need to take that little piece of bread and remember the cross. And this isn't just some flippant religious ritual. This is, this is remembering the cross, remembering that Jesus' body was broken, that your sin was hoisted upon his shoulders, and that he became the substitute for you, and that his body was broken where yours should have been broken, where mine should have been broken. And, and you remember that bread was his sacrifice, and the blood was was his blood that flowed for your redemption and you need to remember the cross and you need to examine your life and you need to get with God over here you can do that if you need some prayer I'll be down there we'll be down there Don I'd love for you to come
pray if somebody needs to pray with with um, somebody. Uh, but let's spend just a song. They're going to sing one or two songs, not not many. And we're just going to ask God to um, help us. And if you need some particular deal to be prayed for, we'd love to do that. Um, come get us. We're not just going to come up to you if uh, if you don't come to us. But um, let's uh, let's for about five or so minutes here just um, respond to God. And if you don't have anything on your heart today as we're worshiping, just say, God, sing these songs in authenticity and then just pray, God, help us grow. Help us grow healthy. Help us grow healthy. Well, let's all stand.